Psst. Hey, you. Want access to exclusive secret ops intel? Check out the link in the description. You know, in my generation, I had a list of tasks and I would go get my work done and somebody else would have their task. I didn't really pay too much attention to what they were doing, right? I just need to get my stuff done. Gen Zers, they want to know their tasks, but they want to know two other very important things. They want to know the why, like what's the company goals and objectives and what's the vision for the quarter and do I buy into that or not? And that may even affect if I have that job, if I don't buy into to those items. They also want to know what their team members are working on. And they want to be able to comment on those or high five or, you know, give an emoji because they just, they need that, that constant collaboration that they're used to with, you know, Facebook or Twitter or, you know, different uh, social programs that they use. Welcome to Secret Ops, the podcast uncovering the world of business operations, one episode at a time. I'm your host, Ariana Cafone, and on today's episode, we have John Darbyshire, who is the CEO and co-founder of SmartSuite, which is a no-code workflow and automation tool. This episode was unique in the sense that we have got somebody with John who is not only a CEO who has invested in over 400 businesses, but he also himself is an operator. He is an operations nerd, like all of us. And I will tell you, the amount of times that we say the word process in this interview um, is going to be exciting for some and tragic for others, but it's just a phenomenal conversation and the wealth of knowledge that he brings into not only SmartSuite as a business, but to the conversation is super enlightening. I hope you enjoy. John, welcome to Secret Ops. It is fantastic to have you on the show. Thank you for being here. Oh, it's a pleasure. I'm looking forward to getting into all things ops here in the next hour. Well, like all of our guests, I got to start with your journey. And your journey has been so interesting. I've got a gazillion questions, but I would love to know where you started early in your career and how you got to co-founding and being the CEO of SmartSuite. In college, I majored in finance and accounting. So that kind of started my journey kind of into that world. And I very quickly realized that uh, I didn't want to do tax or audit type of work. I really gravitated towards the consulting side and I really started to excel. I worked at Ernst & Young and I, I found that I was a process person and Ernst & Young is all about process. And that's where I began to kind of excel in that part of my journey, became a partner at Ernst & Young very early in my career and had the chance to manage one of their uh, global consulting practices. So our goal at that point was to build processes in place that we knew worked right in certain areas and then to replicate that across the world with thousands of people uh, performing that same type of work. So that's where I really kind of honed in on my skill set as an understanding the value of process in building things that's there. Can I ask, because I, I think people are scared of process and I'm already going to ask you more questions. What drew you to process? You know, what was it about? that that just made your brain say, yes, I want to do more of that. Yeah. You know, when people would talk about getting something done in an organization, I, I kind of lend or, or immediately go towards how do I get there? And I start visualizing and thinking about the different inputs that get us to the outcome that we want to have. Almost like a, a, like a Visio design that we used back in, in the day, you know, flow chart that was there. My brain just kind of thinks that way. And I, I realized that kind of at that early age, you know, early part of my career that I was a process person. And 
Um, everything that I did kind of after that point focused from more on operation standpoint with a heavy emphasis on if you get the process right, you bring in the right people, you have the right technology, you can do some pretty amazing things. And for me, of those three, I felt like you had to you had to get the process right first before you could bring in the people and the technology. Mm. How do you think the process is informed by the people? Because you do need to set that up before you bring more people on, but obviously you need the people to then inform the process. <laughs> so how do you how do you balance the two? Yeah. So when I, I talk about having it right first, like you typically have a core team of people that are working on things. And then what happens is you need to expand that team into different geographies or different parts of the company, like it continues to grow. And that core four or five people that really hone in and understand the business process and the process that you need to put in place to get the right outcome, like is super important. And once that's right, it makes it easier to hire people. They know where they fit into the process. They kind of know what their role is. They know the outcome that you're looking for. And that changes over time as things grow. But at the beginning, like it's super important to get that 80, 90% of the way there before you start bringing on a lot of uh, additional people. Yeah, it's like getting the, the key spokes in a bicycle wheel. You want those foundational ones before you start going too fast down the hill. When it comes to Ernst & Young, I mean, you were the youngest partner. That must have been quite an experience. What was that like? What did that feel like? Uh, how did it happen? Yeah, you know, it was interesting. I, I was at a, their competitor, Price Waterhouse, and I was running a Midwest region for Price Waterhouse, and we were doing really well on the consulting side. And one of the things that we did was we we brought in a lot of visualization into the process dynamic, starting at the proposal stage, and then all the way through what we delivered back to the customer, so they could actually see it, touch it, kind of feel it that was there. And our win rates were really, really high. And Ernst and Young came and said, "Hey, we're gonna we'll triple your compensation. We want you to come in as a direct admit partner and run our global practice." And I said no for a period of time. And finally, it just hit me that it was just, they were offering so much and such a big budget to go do something that uh, I went ahead and made that switch. And it was a great switch for me because I, I came into a situation where I was a national partner reporting to some of the leadership team at Ernst & Young. So I just got access to people and information that I wouldn't have had if I would have stayed in my, my previous role. Wow. So it ultimately led to a deepening of the the ways of working that you were doing because you had more access to information to be able to take what you were doing and, and make it grander, bigger. For sure. And I had access to people that have been doing this for a long time and were very successful at the leadership at VNY that were, became my mentors. And I could, and not that they always shared everything with me, but I could watch and observe how they were managing and doing things at very young age. And it really molded me, you know, just in three or four years, it really changed how I kind of thought about business or consulting as a whole. Yeah. in those foundational years. So after Ernst & Young, how long were you there for again? How many years? I was at Ernst & Young four, four and a half years. What was the next step in your journey? Yeah. So I, I had the chance to really travel the world and meet with clients and kind of hear their concerns. And this is in 99, 2000. And uh, online banking was just a thought and it was beginning. Large organizations were thinking about bringing online banking to market for the first time. Uh, and I had an idea that, you know, we needed to manage the processes around what became governance, risk and compliance at that time was online banking in the same way that you would manage a process around accounts payable, accounts receivable, payroll. 
and just to understand what needs to be done to and the right people to be involved, the processes to have in place, the systems that you secure so that you can actually offer online banking for the first time. So I just locked myself in a room for about four months and uh, actually on my my girlfriend Tara's couch, which is now my wife. And <laughs> I just tried to figure out that problem. And one day it just hit me like, oh, I, I got it. I know how all these pieces fit together. We approached a customer and um, with a like a floppy disk with just a, a, a an HTML prototype of how this might work. And it was EDS. And they purchased it two weeks later, paid us, uh, did a three-year commitment, a little over a million dollars a year uh, in commitment. And that's what started a company called Archer Technology. So I co-founded that with my wife, Tara, and actually my mother. So my mom ran operations, HR and operations. Tara ran sales and marketing. And I kind of ran everything else in the product side that's there. That is awesome. Yeah. What was that like? You know, we were all really young at the time. And it was, I, I think we didn't know what we didn't know in, in that, like, we just jumped in and thought we're going to go build this company and have these great clients. And it just happened. We didn't, it maybe even happened a little too easy at times that was there. I say like 29 of the top 30 financial services companies in the U.S. became customers in the first three and a half years. And then 75% of the Fortune 100 in like the next six years uh, that was there. So we were working with the, some of the biggest companies in the world. And then it went, we moved into telco and pharmaceuticals and tech and like it just exploded for us. And um, we sold that company to EMC in 2010. That company is still around. They're the number one player in the space. The, the numbers are huge in the six, seven hundred million a year in ARR. And they're still in the same location in Kansas City, uh, Kansas or Overland Park, Kansas, where we started the company, which is really cool. Same building, same everything. They just continue to expand. They now have thousands of employees uh, that are there. So that was fun. And Tara and I decided after that, we started a family foundation and we thought we would just retire. Um, I can tell you that after uh, two or three years of retirement, I realized that I didn't want to retire. I, I kind of lost my passion of getting up each morning. Like, what am I going to go do? I played golf every day for a year. <laughs> At one point, I we traveled, you know, like just trying to like stay busy. And I kept coming back to, you know, I, I love working with people and processes and I didn't want to get away from that. So at that point, we started investing in a lot of startups, hundreds of startups we invested in, both directly or through venture funds. And I became more of an advisor. And I very quickly realized that that wasn't my passion either, that I wanted to actually get in and do the work and build things. And the entrepreneurs I was working with, they didn't want an investor coming in and doing work with them. Like it's their business that's there. So I finally realized, and I think my wife, Tara, told me that, hey, you've got this idea that you've had for the last 15 years. You need to just go flush it out and and build this new product that's there. And that idea was to build a no-code platform that could help organizations manage any business process in their company. Uh, and we often refer to processes as workflows. And a workflow could be something uh, like accounts, you know, like sales or marketing or, or product management, software development, HR, those types of things. Or it could be projects that you're doing that have people that have due dates and assignments. And what's unique about SmartSuite that we wanted to bring together is we wanted to bring together the traditional task management and some of the process relational database products together into one platform. So you didn't need to have four or five or six different products to kind of manage your business. We give one platform that would help organizations kind of have one place to come to manage their business. And the value from that 
is that when employees come in in the morning and you and you need to onboard them for the first time, it's you know a single product that you're kind of onboarding. When people leave, uh, you need to offboard. You don't have data in six or seven different places that you're worried about trying to go find that information for the next person maybe that's filling that role. So there's a big need for that, but it also took a lot of time. It took us three years with about 100 developers to build the core platform before we released to our first customer. So this isn't a, a small little project management type product. It, it, think of it's more like an SAP, <laughs> but for managing any process in a business. And our customers range from uh, one or two users to Fortune 100 companies, kind of everything in between. Oh my gosh. I am trying to think of all the moving pieces with a hundred developers that you are navigating. (laughs) (laughs) What was that product development process like for you? I mean, how did you start it? Because you obviously had so much experience, not just from your working life, but then investing and advising. Did you come in with a clear idea of what you wanted it to look like and function? Or were you starting from scratch? Meaning get around a table grab a piece of paper, figure out what this could look like, figure out what the functionality looks like. How did it all start? Yeah, I have a coffee shop that's down the street that I call like my office for those that first year. And I spent maybe the first four to six months writing a 1,200-page requirements document. <laughs> oh my gosh. To just show how everything fit together. Because before we could start development, I needed the developers to understand the vision and how the pieces fit together so that we could talk about the architecture of what needed to be in place to support that. We couldn't just jump in and start developing on day one. Um, So that was like, it was a lot of time to kind of create that document that's there. And then the next phase was I need to hire a development team, right? And, you know, hiring a hundred developers, that's a lot, you know, to make that happen. Um, The first thing I did was I kind of, I made a decision that in the past, I'd always built a company and hired people 30 miles around you know, from where that office was located, right? I made a decision that I just wanted to hire the best people wherever I could find them that kind of fit in culturally with what we wanted to do. Um, What happened was, as I was going through that first part of that journey, uh, I found an individual in the Ukraine. I'd never been to the Ukraine. Didn't know much about it, to be honest, four years ago. Um, But I kept coming back to this person online and having great conversations. And I said, I'm just going to come see you. Let's spend a week together you know, I want to show you what I want to do. And in the first couple of hours, I realized like I found the person that I want to be the first developer and start building the team around uh, that's there. And then the second person was, you know, we spend a lot of time on the UI of SmartSuite that maybe we'll talk about in a little bit, but I wanted to find a designer that had um, didn't have all my bad habits from the past on the way that I designed things. I wanted like a fresh new look that was focused on millennials and Gen Zers. And of all places, I found him in Bulgaria. So I went to Sofia, Bulgaria, met with Stoygen, spent a week with him. He is a rock star. And, um, you know, that's where the team started with, was with those two hires. And then it's kind of blossomed over time. All right. Well, let's just jump into the trifecta because I've got uh, so many follow-up questions to that. So to remind my listeners, uh, the trifecta is how we define operations in the simplest way possible, which is it's the fusion and the harmony of people, process, and technology. So, you know, let's kick off with people because we wanted to talk about how design and technology and users are being married together to support each other. So let's dive into the design side of things. What I have to ask, what was it about your bad design habits? Like what was a bad design habit for you that you wanted to break? 
Well, you know, if you go back 20 years when I created the original designs for Archer Technologies that was there, the things that we could do were very different than what's available with technology today. So the screens were just a little more boring, the font selections, just the controls that we could put on a page, not as colorful. I also uh, often refer to that as, you know, this is not your dad's software, meaning like that's what was built 20 years ago. Smart Suite is built on the latest, greatest technology that allows us to do things faster. It's much more performant. And when you start talking with millennials and Gen Zers that come from a different background of the, the fabric of collaboration is built in everything that they've done using devices from a young age. They expect all those collaboration types of things to be built in the product, but they also expect it to be colorful and interesting. It has to capture their attention. And we found very early as we started working with different designs with end users that people would actually, their facial expressions would change as I was watching them look at certain designs. And I could tell that visually they found something more appealing. So I spend a lot of time on calls with users and I'm showing them the product, but I'm actually recording their facial expressions in the bottom as I show them the designs to kind of understand maybe what they're not telling me verbally, but they're gravitating towards with their facial expressions. And specifically with Gen Zers, that happens all the time. And also, also found that they, they like to use multiple devices or multiple um, browser tabs at the same time in the same products, yep. right? And it's more common. That didn't happen, doesn't happen that much in my generation, but it happens every day in the millennial Gen Z kind of world. So we built things understanding that so that when things are updated, maybe on your iPhone, it, it instantly shows on your browser screen because you're setting right there as well. There's no delay. It just happens. And those are all like new fun techniques that I couldn't take advantage of 20 years ago that are available now. Wow. So the, the, the canvas was different. Your paint colors, you had more paints to paint with. Lots of color. So literally just the <laughs> options, literal, literal options to be able to do all that. It's so funny. I, I definitely didn't even think about how I always use two screens next to each other. I always have multiple things. I'm always having my phone. My husband makes fun of me because I've got like a million screens. I got an AirPod in. I'm looking like a crazy person. But that is sort of the norm of how our brains have been wired as because we were, were raised with technology. So you sort of get embedded into the tech, even though we're not fully embedded yet. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm a big believer that tech can have a big influence on the culture of a company. Um, in that, and we've tried to design Smart Suite in a way that helps build culture. That it's fun, it's interesting, it's very collaborative. With a single click at any point, I could be talking with somebody else on the team, or I could see what they're actually working on. And this is a big one from from Gen Zers that, that we found is that you know, in my generation, I had a list of tasks and I would go get my work done, and somebody else would have their task. I didn't really pay too much attention to what they were doing. Right, I just need to get my stuff done. Gen Zers. They want to know their tasks, but they want to know two other very important things. They want to know the why, like what's the company goals and objectives and what's the vision for the quarter? And do I buy into that or not? And that may even affect if I have that job, if I don't buy into to those items. They also want to know what their team members are working on and they want to be able to comment on those or high five or you know, give an emoji because they just they need that that constant collaboration that they're used to with you know Facebook or Twitter or you know different. Uh, social programs that they use. Yeah, I it was so funny. I was helping a client write some documentation, and the first thing I go is like, 
you, you got to talk about the why we're doing this. Like, why should they even read this thing? <laughs> and it's so it's it seems so strange, but our attention span is so much smaller now, right? And so for us to really buy in and and give our attention, we need to know why we should be giving our attention because we're being pulled in a million directions. I think that's definitely part of it. Also part of it is like, all right, if I'm going to spend my time doing this, it better be for a good reason. Like, do you know what I'm saying? Like it has to, you have to be able to, to make sure that you are understanding what is worth the time effort, especially because we're moving so quickly. So I feel like everything is a priority and you have to be able to wade through that quickly. For, for, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I, I think the, the attention span is the, one of the biggest single things that we focus on at SmartSuite with, with the, and we, we look at people 21 to 38 as the people that actually do the work in most organizations. So our product is geared towards them. Now management kind of above that uses our product and looks at dashboards and makes decisions based on the information, but it's that group of people that are actually in using it each day. So we, we spend a lot of time just trying to watch and understand how they want to use the product that keeps them motivated. And one of the ways, one, one of the times that I know that I've got somebody's attention is I can see that they use the product all day during work and they go home at night and maybe they have 30 minutes that they're just kind of decompressing, maybe watching TV, eating, doing something, but they're also pulling up SmartSuite and they're just clicking and playing around because they found it interesting. That's when I know we've kind of hit the spot, right? Where the product is interesting enough that it they want to come back in and see what other people are doing because it feels kind of social. Totally. You've scratched the curiosity itch and they've got to kind of look more at it. So when it comes to the design phase, the user testing, user research, how long was that phase in the development? It's something that happens every day. So I spend the first 45 minutes to hour of every morning. My day starts at six or six 30 in the morning because we have a lot of people. Uh, we're in nine different countries. So I have to catch people that are in the other countries and our designer, Stoygen, is in Bulgaria. So I personally look at and work with Stoygen on every design, on every page in our product and every page on our website. Um, this there, because we feel like that is so important. It's not just that the feature works, it's the presentation of the feature. And then we do initial designs, and then we use a product called Canny that allows our customers to come in and submit feature requests. And then if somebody submits one, then other people can go and vote and comment. And let's say that maybe we have 100 people that commented or voted on a particular feature. As we design that, now I can go back in and post back and it auto notifies every person and I can get their feedback on that, on the design, right? Not just the feature of how it works. So it feels like when we move things into development, it's like version 2.5 because we've had so much feedback on the initial designs and really tailored those before we just roll something out. I'm sure you get some strong opinions uh, because if this is the suite of choice. <laughs> it, it is. I, I mean, you, any software company, you, you know, you have to understand kind of who your power users are and the people that you maybe give a little more influence to versus there's always those edge cases. And you have to be careful that you don't chase the 5% edge case for two people that changes everything for the other 95% you know, percent of the folks that are there. So it's, it's a balancing game. Uh, but we also use our own product to track features back to customers so we can kind of track the revenue that the customers are paying us so that if we see like our 10 top customers are requesting this same feature, we know that's pretty important, right? So that's something that's going to get maybe priority over other features that might might be on the list. So you're learning to, to cut through the noise and sort of trying to see as 
the recurring patterns to lift those to the top, to prioritize it for your development team and your design team to be able to think through and execute and design around. It, it, exactly. And, you know, the, so the first part of my day is on that. And then at some point during the day, I spend an hour to an hour and a half with customers and partners just asking for and listening to feedback, uh, good and bad. And we love to hear the good because we want to know the things that people are finding the most value in. But we really want to spend our time on what are we missing that you need to support a workflow or a use case that you have? Or what's something that's just not resonating with you in the way that it's been designed now that it's implemented? And that's where I get the best feedback is kind of in those direct loops that happen uh, each day. So I try to do two to three customers or partners per day for 30 minutes kind of in those feedback loops. That's a really unique, reoccurring touch base as a CEO. (laughs) I don't know how many CEOs are really daily doing those kinds of things. I guess, why have you prioritized that? You know, you've got a certain amount of hours a day to work. Why are those the most important? Well, the, the first part is I enjoy that more than anything else. So maybe I prioritize that. You know, I, I think I learned at Archer Technologies as we were building that company that what I called follow the customer, like the customers knew what they wanted. They didn't always know how to articulate it in a way that related to the feature, but they could always describe the problem or the use case in a way that I could understand then it was my job with our team was to go figure out how do we listen to what the outcome needs to be and how do we get them to that point with as few of clicks and just ease of understanding as we can uh, that's there. And that created a really unique community of people that felt like they were empowered to give feedback into the product that went on to empower that company to just do really great things uh, that's there. So coming into SmartSuite, we wanted to take that same and we started on day one, like let's get our user community rolling Let's get our our feedback loops in place. Let's just start having conversations with people. And we have KPIs that we track every week as a company. And we have five or six that are just related to customer interactions. Um, Just what are the, how many touch points did we have? How many people voted or commented based on feedback? And we want that number to continue to climb. If we would see any decline in that, it tells us we did something that week that caused that collaboration to not be as robust as we want. All right, let's talk tech because we got to get into this with this development team. Uh, So you are designing and you're iterating on current uh, platform visuals and how it's functioning. When it comes to the technology side, I'm just going to start with like, what do you think is the most badass feature (laughs) that that you've got, that you've uh, brought into the suite? Yeah, so we, uh, it, it gets a little technical, but we have 44 different field types that can be used in a process from simple things like, you know, dates and numbers and text and statuses and things. But it, we get really, we have a really broad list and we we built in data validation for all the field types. So when you put in an email address or a phone number, like you know that it's getting validated as you enter the content so that you have good data in means, you know, good decisions out is what you're trying to get to. And it also empowers people to be creative. Like if you're designing a workflow, we're going to give you two or three different display options for the same type of information. Maybe it is a percent complete where you could do it as just a number. Maybe you want a slider. Maybe you want an icon in a slider, right? And that's where the creativity that we found that the millennials and Gen Zers like is that they're building the process the way that they want. And visually, it looks on a screen the way that they want it to look. And you could go to two companies, really similar processes looks very different, like they have very different cultures. And you can just see in the way that they've built the process 
you know, one might be a little more fun and interesting than the other one that's just trying to get right to the, you know, the stated goal uh, is there. So the, the, everything inside of SmartSuite and our architecture really starts, that's the foundation are these 44 fuel types. It took us with that hundred developers, almost nine months just to understand, to build all of that technology in that we take advantage of uh, today. Well, the thing that I have found being able to customize your own view is the level of adoption of process within a team just goes just way, way, way up. So for example, any tool, if you're forcing someone to work in a particular way, especially a visual way, there's resistance because they've got their own way, they've got their own tools, and you're sort of slowly just trying to get them to come to, to join the rest of the team. Whereas if out the gate, you're saying, listen, the data, the foundational blocks of what we're doing, it's the same, it's consistent, it's being validated, but you can choose how this is going to be visualized within your view. I feel like that is also helping people who learn differently and who digest information differently out the gate. It's making it more accessible. You know, the, the most common way to look at data inside of processes is a grid, right? It's just simple. You put the data elements in there. That's like your dad's way to do things, right? <laughs> but, you know, you can, in SmartSuite, you can flip that to a calendar view or a timeline view or a Kanban view or a card view or a chart or a dashboard or a form, like to do just what you're saying And that I may want to see stuff in a calendar of what I need to focus on versus seeing it in a Kanban that somebody else likes to work in each day. The data behind doesn't change at all. It's just the visualization of how you're looking at the data can change. And then most execs tend to love uh, dashboards, right? So they can come in and just in a few minutes kind of understand the health of a particular segment of the business or a process by looking at five or six different charts that they've said are important to them. And then they could drill in and kind of hone in on maybe the areas of concern that they need to focus on. Uh, that's there. So we try to, um, by different groups of people, have different visualization options available as well. I feel like dashboarding, you got to have it out the gate now. Like it's a thing that every client wants. <laughs> you got to have it. And especially when you're tying it to lower level actions or goals, and then even to the data, it has to go hand in hand. It's very rare that I have somebody that just wants to have one part of that pie, like only task management, you know, functionality. They want to know how many tasks are being completed, when are they being completed, you know, what's our burn rate, what are we, you know, they they it's not just the functionality, but it's how that is increasing productivity and your team's happiness and retention. It's all of those threads coming together. So you can make some proper decisions, right? For, for sure. Yeah, I think it's two areas just like you said. The first one is I just need the information to know the health and you know, that's a series of metrics that are comparing us from last week to this week or last month to this month against a stated goal that we might have, and then all the pieces that are in there. And then you've got the people that are doing the work that you know they wanna focus in on individual items and it's not enough to have just a chart. They wanna click on that little part of the pie chart that might be red and they wanna see those five elements that make up the red right now. And then they wanna do one click to go in and work on them, right? So it's, it's much more than just the dashboard. It's the dashboard, just the starting point to drill in to get to your work. Hello, fellow thinkers. Now, if you have been a loyal listener of Secret Ops, then you already know about our sponsors, Baron Fig, the company that makes tools for thinkers. Now, I'm totally biased, but I really think that Baron Fig has the best product suite for thinkers and operators alike. And you know what? I'm not the only one that thinks so. 
Bloomberg said, and I quote, that Baron Fig's products are, quote, high end and well crafted, which they absolutely are. Their Confidant notebook is the most delicious notebook that you will use with the most perfect dot grid paper. But it's not just Bloomberg. Actually, fun fact, New York Magazine, they tested 100 pens to find the top pen. And after testing all of those pens, they rated Baron Fig's Squire pen the number one pen. The number one pen. It's not just me, y'all. You got to give them a try. And guess what? We got you hooked up with the discount code. If you go to baronfig.com today, enter in the discount code SECRET20 and get 20% off your next order of $50 or more. Again, that's secret 20 and get 20% off your next order of $50 or more. Oh, I'm like so jealous that you're going to get to see all this for the first time because they're, they're, their products are so delicious. Anyway, uh, enjoy, have fun. Let us know how you use the tools and let's get back to the show. Yeah, totally. It's, it's so funny. I laugh because how many times somebody said like, hey, something's going on with this dashboard. And I'm like, what? I checked and it looks fine. It's because it's they've gone to like the lowest level of the data. And I'm like, there was no way I was going to be able to catch that before <laughs> we got that up. But that's how people are really doing their workloads from that visual level, because we digest information visually much easier than, you know, just the straight up data. So they're going to start from that visual layer and then work their way down. Yeah. And even inside of charts and dashboards, you know, it's interesting to see the types of charts that different people gravitate towards kind of based on their role. We have 13 or 14 different chart types. And I could start to kind of break that down into groups of people visually on the types that they pick as well. Which one was the most surprising when you started to look at that? I, I can tell you that the Gen Zers like the stack bar charts and the pie charts the most. Hmm. Stack bar. Interesting. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I can't tell you exactly why um, that's there, but I can tell you that that group of people uses those two chart types the most inside of our, our, our product. And then executives, um, you know, people more my generation are not as colorful in the colors that they select to put on the charts. I can tell you the millennials and Gen Zers spend some time on each color of each element that's actually picked of exactly how they want it. And we've actually increased our color palettes because of those comments that. They want more options because visually, it's important that it visually looks the way that they want it to look. It's not just a pie chart. Well, let's round out the trifecta with process. And I'm going to take this a little bit more macro because you've, you've been in this space and you've been thinking up about process and perfecting process for so many years. What for our audience would be a tip that you've learned that people should think about when they're building process that might not be apparent out the gate? I've typically seen a couple of issues with people as they think about processes at the beginning. The first one is they've not done that process before and they really don't understand what a best in class process looks like, right? I learned that at Ernst & Young. Ernst & Young had process templates for every kind of business. They would go in to do consulting. You would just flip through and educate the customers on the processes and it made it very easy to make decisions. And most of the time the customer what was built was very different than what they had in mind at the beginning because they didn't know. So at SmartSuite, we do that with process templates. So we have 200 templates across 35 different categories of processes, all the way down to like real estate, construction, churches, nonprofits, things that are specific. Um, the majority of our customers click on that, pull up the templates, drill in, and that's the starting point for them to begin to really understand what a simple version looks like. And then we give them a more complex, a more mature kind of process that's there. That helps them very quickly decide, oh, 
I want the simple, like that's what I've got in my head. That's where I want to start versus no, I need the complex. And then they just tailor the process template that is there to kind of meet their needs compared to starting from scratch. If you're going to start from scratch, the problem typically is tools are so easy to just use now using no code and drag and drop that you can just start building and you get done and you realize that's not right. <laughs> like if I would have taken an hour and and thought about the flow of the process and the people that were involved, it would have had a big impact on what I built. So we we try to encourage our customers and provide them with examples of flowcharts so that they understand, even if you're not a flowchart expert, let's let me just take a piece of paper and kind of draw out what I'm trying to accomplish. It gets my mind thinking about how would I organize that, not just in SmartSuite, but in any kind of productivity uh, tool. Oh my gosh, I love a flowchart, and I know that. <laughs> I, I mean, that's how. I mean, I love a flowchart, but it is funny when I have people that come to me and they're like, "I need help with operations," and usually they're coming at me and they think they know what they need. They think they know the solution of what it, what what's causing the problem. I would say ninety percent of the time that is not the problem, or that is a small percentage of the greater problem or the the operations that we're trying to build. And the the interesting mindset shift has been. Changing people from just because you're building something doesn't mean that you're progressing something, meaning building is not meaning that you're being more productive or that you're doing something well. It just means that you're building because it feels good. Sometimes you have to take a step back. You have to you know, get a piece of pen and paper out, go and really figure out how is each of these pieces connecting? How are each of these technologies and how is our team going to use all of these things? to really be able to get to where you want to go faster. It's a hard mental shift though in that. I find it very difficult. So having that best in class template makes a lot of sense to me. Most people don't need to reinvent the wheel. You did obviously because that's just <laughs> that's that's John's way, but like not everybody needs that. Yeah, for 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 sure. And that that's the biggest part of what we provide that helps people get started faster and it's part of that education process that's there. And then we provide videos around processes as well to help other customers share with the customer, like how they've implemented that process to give them ideas. And I'll tell you another big problem that we see quite often is that people have a process in place that they've inherited over time. And you would ask them, why do we do this? And they're like, I don't really know. I just collect these 20 pieces of information every day when I do this task. And you look at the outcome and you realize none of the, the charts, the graphs, the reports that they're looking at includes some of the information that they're capturing each day. It's just kind of mindless work that's happening that's there. So we like to spend time to really understand, you know, what is the outcome? What do you want to see? Let's look at the data that we're collecting and let's get rid of anything that we're actually not using that's in there. And that happens more than you would think in more established companies where the process was set maybe by somebody that no longer has the job and now I'm in that role, you know, that's there. Definitely. Also, I think people who like process tend to over-process things. And that's where you get a lot of those steps where they're just like, let's just get it all written down. And you ultimately want the, the minimum viable steps that you need to get the job done well. That doesn't mean you need the most, but that is, a, again, another shift. Making something simple is really hard. But to do that, you're going to save, I mean, so much time, money, uh, your team sanity, <laughs> all those pieces. Yeah. The other part of that is, you know, in today's world, you can automate pretty much anything in any type of productivity tool, you know, and they even, we call them automations now where I can go and say, if these two things happen, 
go do these two things over here, right? When this trigger happens, do these actions. And we like to spend a lot of time seeing what people do and then say, I think we can automate like 20, 30, 40% of what you just did. You don't have to do that. You don't have to click here and then go over here and do something because you, you did it here first. Like, we'll just make that happen for you. And then it gives people more time to kind of think about and understand, you know, the work that they're doing. They can work a little smarter, think about the outcomes uh, that are there. There's nothing like the moment when you automate something for someone who didn't think it could be automated and they're just like, you could just see the light bulb click. Um, I've, I've especially found that on finance teams where I'm like, I think we can automate that folder creation and you don't need to do that. And then it's like, let's automate everything, <laughs> which is, uh, it's, it's a very hilarious uh, after effect. But let's, let's get to the inside scoop because John, I want to pick your brain in this area in a little different fashion than we normally do with the inside scoop where we essentially get piece of, pieces of advice from you in a way that maybe we haven't heard it. So what I would like to start with is having invested in over 400 companies, what, what did you look for when you were to invest in a company? What were some factors um, outside of you know revenue potential, profitability? What were some operational features that you were looking for? Let, let me first tell you about some of the mistakes that I made, because that tells even a better story on that. Because Love a mistake. Love a mistake. Made many of them. <laughs> I tended to get very excited about at first coming in the idea that people had and the potential that it could have from a, an economic standpoint. And I had some friends at Bain Capital that when I would start investing, they kept coming back to me and saying, John, it's all about the people. Don't worry about the product. Great people do great things. Doesn't matter about the idea. It might be the third iteration they'll get there. I learned that about halfway through my investing journey because some of the the companies that I thought had the most potential that didn't have the right team and the people, it just wasn't coordinated and they didn't make it. Not just that they weren't, you know, hugely profitable. They just didn't make it at all. It was just shocking that it was there. And it led me to really understand how much time you need to spend with an entrepreneur and the people around the entrepreneur that are on that team to see how they interact with each other. Have, you know, is it, and there's different types of entrepreneurs. There's some that are in the weeds on every detail, and there's some that are more high level and power people to get in the weeds. And those are two very different teams. So you need to think about the teams that are around those people on how that, that works. And, um, you know, if it's a red flag for me, if I meet with entrepreneurs now and they are so focused on how much money we're going to make, and they're talking about these grandiose projections four and five years and, about their wealth and all of that, that for me is, I've learned my lesson that that's probably not the right conversation. I want to find the entrepreneurs that uh, kind of go back to Malcolm Gladwell's book, Outliers. I don't know if you're familiar with that, where Malcolm identified that, you know, to be an expert in something, you need about 10,000 hours of time. So I look for, are they an expert in the field that they're starting? That doesn't, you know, there are people that don't, that aren't experts that are successful too, but the ones that are experts, all right, they, they get a tick from me. Are they really passionate about what they're doing? That's they're like, they can't wait to come in. Like for me, it's software development. I could talk process and software all day. If they don't love the idea, they're just doing it for some other reason. I don't give them that check mark kind of in that box. So when I look at, do they have the experience? Um, you know, are they, are they passionate? And then is there a market opportunity for what they're wanting to do? When those three things come together, that's when I now get excited about uh, investing. 
It also then makes so much sense why you really wanted to find the right people when you were first starting SmartSuite, because you know how clutch those initial hires are, because the the culture is going to start from those initial people that join the team, and then it's going to grow from there. And having seen that, it really drove home that point. Mm, that's a really, that's a really good key takeaway for me. What do you think is something that operators do that they should stop doing? Like tomorrow, if you were to say, operators, hear ye, hear ye, uh, this is my notice. I think you should stop doing this. What would that be? Yeah, this might sound weird, but um, I, I'm not a big fan of having a bunch of meetings every week and a lot of individual one-on-one sessions. Like I feel like it's all that time is taking away from the customer or the product that you're trying to build. And you've got to find a way to have those types of conversations very quickly um, and then move on so people feel empowered to get stuff done. Uh, it's there. So I'm a big fan of agile development, not just from a, a, a development perspective, but I like to use the agile methodology across every part of our business, which means that each morning for 15 minutes, each team does a stand up. And during that stand up, they talk about here's what I completed yesterday. Here's what I'm focused on today. Do I have any blockers that I need some help from somebody to get done? Everybody knows what's going on. Like they feel like they're in the know and then let's go. Right. And there'll be conversations throughout the day, but I'm just not a huge fan of scheduling too much, you know, burden on top of the day with just a bunch of meetings that don't lead to a great outcome for the customer or product side. Yeah. I I get that feeling when I'm in meetings and I'm just totaling up how much we're spending on this hourly meeting of 15 people. And I'm like, oh, this is not worth that. Like, this is not worth that. We're not getting where we need to go on this. It's like, now it's like consciously painful to go through those. Not because I don't love seeing people and engaging, but you also know that people get burnt out being on meetings all the time. You can only handle so much of that on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. And I think of, you know, a lot of what happens in those meetings if that information was available in a way that you could see it in a click or two and consume it on your own time in just a few minutes, you get the same outcome. And that's what SmartSuite is all about with the collaboration is, you know, it, I've got my list of stuff, but if I want to see another team and what they're focused on of their objectives or initiatives for the quarter and the status, like just boom, there it is. And I, I, I don't need to have a, you know, an hour meeting with 15 people to be able to get that. Totally. I, I've, um, I've, taken meetings from more, you know, let's write something down on pen and paper. Let's create custom agendas every week to, hey, we're going to have the same agenda. We're going to dashboard all these things. You can view it anytime. And man, those meetings go like fire. And you actually end up having some really good discussion because in the past where you would spend 45 minutes doing status updates, instead you spend 10 minutes looking at what you're constantly looking at from a dashboarding perspective. And then you can actually discuss what's going on, try and solve problems together, try and see where you need support. And it really, I do think it helps from a satisfaction perspective for the team, because then they're using the part of their brains where they can really start to solve problems in different ways and, and enjoy that. You know, it's not just checking a box. Exactly. Like what you said to me is we use KPIs in each process that we have inside of our own company. And we spend time understanding that you could have 20 KPIs, but what are the four or five most important? And let's focus on those, right? So we go into the meeting. There it is. How did we do against last week, last month, last quarter? If something's in the red, we know that's an area that we need to focus that conversation on. But everything is green and then moving up. It's like, we're doing a great job. Let's keep doing you know, what we're doing. We don't need to have any changes there. So as someone that has moved from you know, operations, into consulting for businesses, into, you know, 
being a CEO and a co-founder. For the, our operators out there, what happens in the mental shift from being an operator into a, a CEO and a founder? What do you what do you think if people wanted to start something or if they wanted to found a business? What is that that mental shift that they need to make to to get that to happen? Yeah, well, the first thing I would say is if you're a really good operator and you have that ten thousand hours of experience, you're in a really great position to be a CEO and to start a company because you know what needs to get done, right? So a lot of great startup founders come from that background because they just have that knowledge um, that's there. Um, the hardest part is all the things outside of that framework that you don't know about. Maybe you're not a marketing specialist, right? Or you don't know product development and how that needs to get done. So it's important that you find a way to get comfortable with that very quickly, especially if you're a SaaS company that's there. And there's a lot of great SaaS founders that aren't product people, they just have a great idea that, that's there. So you have to find a way to communicate back with your team the expectations that you have. And the way that I found this most effective for me is we have quarterly goals. So we have four to five quarterly goals that says, this is exactly what we're trying to accomplish. Each goal is supported by a series, typically six to eight objectives for the quarter. And then each objective has a series of initiatives that need to get done in support of the objective. If I do my job right, and get that framework set for the quarter. Like I understand, I've communicated what my expectations are, even if I don't know the how of how everything's going to get done. And then the people understand what's most important to them that they're reporting back to me each week. And then I just use something very simple, red, yellow, green stoplight status. And I say, if it's green, we just, we don't need to talk about it. If it's yellow, it means you've got a question and it doesn't mean you're going to miss the mark, but you've got questions. So I'm going to focus each Monday morning on yellow. And if it's red, it means we're at risk of meeting a goal or objective that I've stated. And that's where my attention needs to flow into. So as an operator moving in, like th that might not be your the right system for you, but I found that that's the right system for me to kind of get my head around what's happening in the business. Also, that just empowers people. I, I feel like there is some resistance to defining those goals initially when I'm working with companies because, you know, they, they've done it a certain way, they're moving fast, but, and I'm forcing them to slow down and to define some goals and to define some metrics for those goals. And initially it seems very uncomfortable, but then what I found after is the ability to then have smart people do what they do best, which is uh, do smart things. <laughs> makes it so much easier, right? You've given them the clarity of what they should be working towards. If you've hired the right people, they will know how to do that or find out how to do that. And and there's not a lot less uh, handholding that's needed. And nobody wants to have to do that anyways, right? So you're just empowering people that you've already hired to do the thing. For, for sure. And then I think there's you know, when you reach a goal, there's a time for celebration that's there. And you want to be careful how you set goals and that you have goals and stretch goals right? So that you want to meet those goals. And I think that builds the culture of the company to really rally around realistic goals that the team can meet and then give them the stretch. Like you go get this and we'll do X more for your bonus or something, right? Where they're like, okay, I'm going to go get that number, but I'm going to definitely achieve what needs to be done for the quarter. Yeah. That's, that's a very good point too. If you make a goal so unachievable, there's just no morale behind it. You know, you've, if you've already set up to fail, it doesn't feel good, but if you have that stretch goal, so you, you've got that, you know, further target to keep running at, if you hit your goal or when you hit your goal, it, it is quite motivating and it's a celebratory time. It's like, let's have some fun. We worked our tails off. Let's figure that out. 
Yeah. And that, I think that's, that's key to the culture, right? Like if you have un, unrealistic goals and you're always hammering on people to meet those goals, it just becomes frustrating for them, right? If, the, if you don't achieve something and you're a really smart person, like you're beating yourself up over that. So don't, don't do that. Just set goals that make sense that you know you can hit. And then let's focus on, on one or two stretch goals uh, as well. Last question with the inside scoop, which is, okay, let's say we're having somebody listen and they keep hearing process. They're like, John, Ariana, process, gross. I don't even want to like go near that. What would you say to them to convince them to give it a shot, to, to give process a try? Yeah. You know, process is all about helping people work smarter in their job and understand their expectations of what they're doing each day and then the outcome that you expect from them. So some people don't call that process, right? Those are just, you know, when you sit down and, and you do a plan for a person for the quarter or for the year, you kind of document it. I think of that as a process. And I like to take it a step further in that each part of a person's job, I like to ensure is documented in a way that they just fully understand and embrace what they have ownership of. And they know if they don't have ownership, who has ownership of different different things when they have questions or they need feedback that affects them and getting their job done uh, this there. So, um, you know, process, whether you call it process or not, is something that happens in every business every day, just in the nature of how you get work done. John, let's fire some rapid fire questions your way. This is just about you as a human, just to get to know you. Um, so it's supposed to be quick answers, go with your gut, no pressure. If you don't have an answer either, we can always give you another question. So in your day-to-day -day life, what is your favorite part of the day? Talking with our design team each morning. What is your favorite quote? Favorite quote. Um, what gets measured gets done. Very appropriate. What is the best purchase you've made under $50? Man, I, I'm having a hard time on that one. It, it, it has to do with something being outside in sports that's there, mm. whether it's football, basketball, baseball, but I'm just, I'm a sports guy and I love to be outside. What are you currently reading? Um, I'm rereading Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell for probably the fifth time. <laughs> uh, what is the coolest place that you've been to on earth? You know, I'm going to pick Southern California where we live. I think once we moved here and, and down by the beach, like it just, it, it's like a permanent vacation. I just love it here. What do you want to be when you grow up? Mm. That's great. You know, I, from a business side, I really enjoy being a CEO of a successful company, not because of the company, but because of all the relationships with the people that that brings. So it's just kind of that, um, that's my network of people that I enjoy working with. And that's bled into our social lives. So many customers and employees have become such good friends as a result of that, that I enjoy that part and kind of the mentorship that I'm able to, now that I'm older, be able to provide back to some of the, the younger folks. What is a skill that you have that people don't know about and would surprise them? <laughs> I love interior design. Like I, all of our Ooh. homes, my wife just, she just says, go do it. And yeah, I, I love to do that. <laughs> Last question, which is what is the most important lesson that you have learned in your life so far? Yeah, I, I think, you know, being older that I am now, it's, you know, how you treat people in situations matters, good and bad, whether you feel like you've been wronged in the way that you respond back or whether you feel that you're right and you're handling a difficult conversation. Like it's important to always think about the other side of that discussion because it could have an impact on the other person for quite some time. So I always try to 
like take a breath now before I respond back if I'm in a situation that's a little sticky. Mm, that's a good good tip. Last but not least, where can people find you if they're like, John, man, speaking some truths here. I want to I wanna connect with you. Yeah, probably the best way is on LinkedIn. So just John Darbyshire. John is J-O-N. And uh, either link in with me or just send me a DM through LinkedIn. And that's probably the fastest way. John, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge. Truly, it feels like uh, such a treat to be able to just talk to you and pick your brain with all the experience that you've had. So thank you so much. And uh, thank you so much to the Secret Ops listeners. Uh, Please make sure to follow us wherever you find your podcast and check us out at secret-ops.com. See you next time. Hey, listener. Do you want to be a top operator in business and in life? Well, we at Secret Ops are here to help you do just that. Check out our monthly Secret Ops newsletter with exclusive intel just for you. From bonus content to secret resources, we've given you the VIP access. To sign up, check out the link in the description. And as always, thanks for listening.